KPBS On Demand is supported by Under the Sun Foundation, presenting the Candlewood Arts Festival in Borrego Springs, featuring temporary public art projects that engage community and place. March 23rd. More at candlewoodartsfestival.org. Good morning. I'm Annika Colbert. It's Thursday, October 7th. School plans for keeping kids safe during an active shooter threat. More on that next, but first, let's do the headlines. Physicians protested outside UC San Diego Health's La Jolla Medical Campus on Wednesday. It's part of a statewide protest against labor practices in the UC medical system. Doctors have been without a contract since the end of July. They're arguing for better pay, higher meal stipends, and improved working conditions. UC San Diego health officials said in a statement that they're in the process of contract negotiations and they've offered pay increases along with larger housing, meal, and education stipends. Republic Services celebrated the grand opening of its new Otai compost facility on Wednesday. The facility will help in recycling food waste and converting it into compost. Starting in January, a new state law will require the majority of businesses and residents in California to recycle organic waste. Chris Sini is the Organics Operation Director at Republic Services. Chula Vista is going to consume approximately 60% of the capacity at this facility. The state of California acknowledges we need 100, 150 more compost facilities, anaerobic digesters in the state to meet their aggressive goals of SB 1383. The city of San Diego announced on Wednesday that it received federal funding to create the San Diego Regional Cyber Innovation Center. It'll help local government agencies protect against cyber attacks. San Diego Mayor Todd Gloria says the new innovation center will serve as a place where regional information and prevention strategies can be shared between agencies, especially for smaller agencies that don't have in-house expertise. From KPBS, you're listening to San Diego News Now. Stay with me for more of the local news you need. Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year, we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, We've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com. There was an elementary school lockdown on Wednesday because of an active shooter threat in City Heights. KPBS education reporter M.G. Perez has more on that and local efforts to keep our schools safe. Parents waited anxiously outside as Rosa Parks Elementary School went into lockdown. There was no active shooter inside. But according to San Diego police, someone was shot just a few blocks away. Corema Campuzano had two of her children in the school. Everybody was inside. There was nobody outside the school. And I just waited until the teacher said that it was clear. And then I showed up to the front door. What's your biggest fear? 
that somebody would, I mean, it would happen outside and I'm scared that somebody would want to like be crazy and go to the school with a gun. That did not happen, but shootings in schools were a nationwide problem even before the COVID shutdown. COVID is the latest threat on campus for parents to deal with, but an active shooter or other threat of violence is just as real. Before the pandemic, San Diego County officials were already at work on a new safety plan. The San Diego County Grand Jury, seated in 2018, conducted a review of school preparedness in cases of active shooters. In 2019, this report was released with several recommendations, including proposals to increase funding in school budgets for training equipment and infrastructure improvements to handle an active shooter crisis for staff and student safety, conduct active shooter drills with staff that produce immediacy of response, according According to the school's approved safety plan and includes substitute teachers and all other adult workers in training and practice that's provided to regular staff on active shooter awareness and response. The report highlighted a pilot program at Torrey Pines High School, which installed a specialized camera security system. The San Diego Union High School District has since installed the system on all its nine other campuses. Many of the other 42 districts and charter and private schools across the county have followed suit with infrastructure improvements and safety drills. Tim Ware is the school safety coordinator for the San Diego County Office of Education leading the efforts. Right now we have about half of our districts have sent teams um, to our training to address this issue as it relates to not only the school shooting piece, but also what we call the concerning behaviors that lead up to a situation like that happening. Karema Camposano is relieved that did not happen today, and she's grateful to go home with her children safe and sound. And that was reporting from KPBS education reporter M.G. Perez. The oil spill off the coast of Orange County is not only an ecological disaster, it's also devastated businesses that operate on or near the shoreline. KPBS's John Carroll spoke with some commercial fishermen on Wednesday about the damage the oil could do if it reached our shores. H&M Landing is the largest sport fishing operation in San Diego County. When we caught up with H&M President Franker City Wednesday morning, he'd just gotten off the phone with the Marine Region Manager for the State Department of Fish and Wildlife, who had some encouraging news. With favorable conditions, with, with lighter wind conditions, I think we're positioned pretty well uh, to keep things from spreading further to the south here in San Diego. Today is the beginning of lobster fishing season, which has lobster fishers to the north frustrated as they can't leave port and their counterparts down here breathing a sigh of relief. And that was KPBS's John Carroll. San Ysidro community advocates celebrated California Clean Air Day by pointing to a long-running pollution problem in their neighborhood. KPBS environment reporter Eric Anderson has more. A newly painted mural on Casa Familiar's building imagines what could have been. South Bay artist Amanda Cachadorian painted plants native to the Tijuana River Valley, imagining a region without pollution. But Casa Familiar's Alejandro Amador says pollution does exist here. San Isidro continuously uh, reports high uh, levels of PM 2.5 and black carbon. 
uh, more than any other community in San Diego, and it's within the top five percentile within the whole state of California. The culprit is vehicle traffic across one of the world's busiest land border crossings. Locals say reducing vehicle wait times at the border would go a long way toward fixing the pollution issue. And that was KPBS environment reporter Eric Anderson. The environmental troubles near the border unfortunately do not end with air. On Wednesday, county officials extended a water contact closure at the Tijuana Slough, including up to the Imperial Beach shoreline due to sewage contamination. Signs and warnings for sewage-contaminated water will remain in place until water samples test safe for recreational use. That's according to the San Diego County Department of Environmental Health and Quality. Many homes were burned, but some homes survived the campfire in Northern California that devastated the town of Paradise. And now we may have some answers to why that was. KQED science reporter Danielle Venton tells us of a new report that finds that some simple actions can make a big difference. California updated its building code in 2008 to require homes to be more fire safe. Researchers from the University of California and the U.S. Forest Service wanted to know if those changes made a difference in which homes survived in paradise. Researchers found that newer homes did have better fire survivability, but the updates of 2008 wasn't the key turning point. Even homes built a decade prior to the code update fared overall about as well. The researchers attribute this to newer roofs and materials, less overhead tree cover, and crucially, more cleared space between the buildings. Yana Yalakovic is a forest advisor with the University of California and a co-author of the study. We're only as strong as our weakest neighbor, and we're really all in this together. So when we tend to see loss, it's usually when a neighboring building is lost to wildfire, and then you get significant radiant heat which means burning homes spread destructive fire more than burning trees do. The researchers are hopeful the work will help inform how to best build and live in areas at risk from wildfires. And that was KQED science reporter Daniel Venton. Coming up, San Diego County announced a $9 million partnership to fight childhood obesity. Childhood obesity rates have increased since the start of the COVID-19 pandemic, disproportionately impacting communities of color. It's really highlighting where we have systems, where we have organizations, agencies, uh, both private and public, that could be doing more. We'll have more on that next, just after the break. Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year, we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, We've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com.
Childhood obesity rates have increased since the start of the pandemic, disproportionately impacting communities of color. San Diego County earlier this week announced a $9 million partnership to fight childhood obesity. Dr. Guadalupe Ayala is a professor of public health at San Diego State and the director of the Institute for Behavioral and Community Health. She spoke about childhood obesity and the trends we've seen lately with KPBS Midday Edition host Jade Hindman. Here's that interview. You recently wrote an opinion piece in the San Diego Union-Tribune where you call childhood obesity a threat. What did you mean by that, and why do you choose that word to describe it? I describe it as a threat because our ability to be productive, happy, healthy human beings um, is in part driven by our health status and our well-being. And the concern we have is that with increasing rates of childhood obesity, you inevitably have increasing rates of obesity among adolescents and then adults. What does that lead to? Ultimately, it could lead to earlier death, but maybe even more so what we care about is just an inability to do the things we want to do in life because we're either having to address significant health issues like diabetes and heart disease, or we're not able to be physically active with our kids because we don't have the mobility we might be able to have if we were not suffering with this condition. Hmm. Give us a sense of where childhood obesity was in San Diego County before the pandemic and where it is today. It's actually a little bit hard to speak about that because a lot of the sources of information where we would learn about increasing, whether the the rates are increasing or decreasing, were systems that were not not necessarily implemented during the pandemic. So let me give you one example, is that there's a lot of information about child's health is collected when children are in school. And when they are uh, studying remotely, there are less opportunities for us to be able to monitor the health of a child in normal ways. But what I can say is that the conditions that COVID highlighted in terms of lack of access to healthy options, in terms of lacks of access to healthcare, those are things that exist and that make our ability to prevent or control childhood obesity really a lot harder. Let's talk about that a bit more. I mean, what's the link between these rising childhood obesity rates and COVID-19? What changed, we could even look in our own households, right? We were less likely to go out, more likely to sit and entertain ourselves in front of the television. Television itself is not necessarily a culprit, but if you're finding yourself sitting at home for four or five, six hours in any one evening, when you potentially could have been outside, maybe participating in some sort of community recreation or going to your local gym, that's where we start to see the impact. So we've become much more sedentary. When we're sedentary in front of the television, what happens? We tend to mindlessly eat and drink. And that then starts to create an internal change in our bodies where we then start to also crave those unhealthier foods or more foods or the things that are, the foods that are bringing us comfort. Mm. At the county's announcement of their childhood obesity initiative earlier this week, they seem to emphasize that the problem is about more than just an individual's choices. Uh, here's how Dr. Kelly Motadel described it. When it comes to obesity, 
We need to consider barriers beyond individual motivation that make it hard to be healthy and active. It's hard to eat a nutritious diet when healthy foods like fruits and vegetables are hard to afford. And it's hard to be active if your neighborhoods do not have enough sidewalks or parks. And if they do have sidewalks and parks, do you feel safe enough to utilize and explore them? You know, framing it as part of a larger societal issue, it can be hard to identify specific solutions with so many issues involved. Where should we start? To address, I think, the problem of childhood obesity, and I think obesity in general, it really takes a whole community approach. And so when asked where to start, start where you can, right? Because we need the change. We need the individual change for sure. We need individuals to make healthier choices. There's no question about that. But I could not agree more that in order to support healthy individual choices or healthy family choices, we need a community that makes those choices easily accessible and affordable. And so so where do you start with that? So if you are a restaurant owner, do you have child menus, child menu options even available on your restaurant menu? And are those child menu options healthy? Do they contain any form of fruit or vegetable at minimum? Structural racism creates health disparities that have been made worse by the pandemic. How has that impacted children along racial lines? You know, one of the things about um, Black Lives Matter and all of the discussion we're having about structural racism is actually a really good thing for childhood obesity because it's really highlighting where we have systems, where we have organizations, agencies, uh, both private and public, that could be doing more. And so, for example, if a parent does not feel comfortable in a healthcare setting, they're less likely, obviously, to go seek healthcare, which then may help um, a parent realize that their child has a health concern with their weight issue. I think one of the one of the challenges we have is that many individuals in the healthcare system and the educational system were also very reluctant, understandably, to diagnose a child with a condition that may be maybe lifelong, because you often sort of hold out the hope that this would change. But what's happening by not being clear with parents and by sending inconsistent messages, we're then not really making it clear to parents about the importance of this issue and what it's going to mean long term, not only for their child, but the well-being of their whole family. That was Dr. Guadalupe Ayala, a professor of public health at San Diego State and the director of the Institute for Behavioral and Community Health, speaking with KPBS Midday Edition host Jade Hindman. And that's it for the podcast today. Be sure to catch KPBS Midday Edition at noon on KPBS Radio or check out the Midday Edition podcast. You can also watch KPBS Evening Edition at 5 o'clock on KPBS Television. And as always, you can find more San Diego news online at kpbs.org. I'm Annika Colbert. Thanks for listening and have a great day.
KPBS On Demand is supported by the Museum of Contemporary Art San Diego, offering visitors to the La Jolla campus special exhibitions, collection galleries, coastal vistas, seaside dining, and more. MCASD.org.